Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which these fans cast their combined day over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Adam Elliott, and I've got a massive megapod today. Maybe too many cooks are spoiling the broth. Maybe. We'll see. Um, but I'm joined today by four people, a bunch of incredible hard and defensively sound podcasters. Their press is on point, and they are always lethal in front of goal. It's Dan, Hosty, and Martin. How are you, Martin? I'll start with you first. I'm good, thank you. Um, I've been a bit under the weather for the last couple of days, um, some sort of bug, but I'm, but I'm fighting it off and I'm still ready to go. Uh, my kids have been ill with it all week and off school, so I've had more children to look after than normal. And yes, so other than that, I'm, I'm all good. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fantastic. Um, I'm very, very well prepared for this, I promise. Um, and I've eaten my tea and that was very nice. I had sausage rolls and like loads of cheeses and toast and lots of just basically picky bits and it was really nice um hosty how are you and what have you eaten tonight i mean we all know i've already eaten i'm, I'm sure we can all just take a round guess I've, I've had spag ball as as always um you just sound like you've had like a bunch of carbs and cheese which is great i love that it was wonderful did you do a sofrito that's the questions hosty what, uh, what? onions carrots and celery oh absolutely not. in the base absolutely not yeah, right outrageous <laughs> I can't be bothered cutting onions. Too much time, too much oh. effort. Oh bloody hell! Oh, right. no I keep meaning to well, buy chop. I keep meaning to buy chopped shallots for the freezer and stuff like that to then put in, and I just keep forgetting because apparently Belvitas take priority in my head. <laughs> Dan, how are you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm outraged at Hossie's cooking. Yeah, so anyway, I. I, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm good. I'm a bit thrown by you calling me incredibly hard, but you know, we'll move on from that. You've got salt burn on your mind. At your age, that doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> no, not my age. I guess we'll move on to the <laughs> um, the news section of the podcast. Um, but yes, we are here today actually to do a double review. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I just wanted to ask about Willie Nonto because it looks like he's signing a new contract. Who wants to go first on that? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I guess sort of like, I think he's had a new agent, hasn't he? And I think he's probably realised he was... Maybe a bit misled because he's still been getting picked up 
being picked for Italy, even though he's in the championship. And I think that was kind of what his previous agent maybe said to him that that won't happen. Um, but you know, he was getting picked for Italy when he was in the Swiss league, which is a lower standard or similar standard to the championship, probably. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it'll be good. I'm, he's, he's obviously played a bit part this season and. Yeah, I think that's more due to Somerville because I think that's the position which Nonto is best at as well on the left hand side. Even then, he's played on the right hand side when he's when he's come on mainly. Um, so yeah, I think it's good keep a player in and possibly keep some of his value that might have dropped just due to him being on a new contract as well. So yeah, I, I think it's a good good idea all round. I think it's possibly protecting us if we don't go up as well because, I mean, you assume, don't you, that Somerville goes for quite a big fee in the summer if we don't go up. And if Nanto's in a good contract, we can convince him to stay. I think he's he's a good candidate for that kind of inside left position, isn't it? Somerville's currently playing. So it's kind of good future-proofing in case of that. And if we go up, then, yeah, we have to decide what we're doing with him long-term. I don't really have anything to add. That's why I'm not speaking. Well, I'll start with you first, Martin, um, on the next piece of news, which is the injury news from the Norwich game last night. It was probably the only dampener on the game in total, but Dan James obviously went off at half-time after suffering a bit of a blow towards the back end of the first half. And then, obviously, Archie Gray was actually helped off by two of our medical staff, so that looked a bit more concerning. But Barker did seem to be implying that they might only miss one game. But how worried would you be if he had to miss any, or either of those had to miss any league games, I guess? He'd be quite worried, to be honest, because um, both of them have been pretty key for us, and especially in Archie's position, we don't really have much of a other. Um, Ailing's left now, and so Jed Spencer's gone back to Spurs, so we've not got many right-backs, and Archie himself isn't even a right-back. So yeah, um, we will be left with just playing Jamie Shackleton. If he's, is he fit at the moment? I'm not sure. But yeah, he's also another one who is injury-prone, and... Dan James has been keepers this year, scored a lot of goals, and I would never have thought I'd say that, yeah, I, I would like him to be fit and in the team. Um, but wouldn't be as much worth it for that for Dan because we have got some cover in the wider areas. We've got Jed and Anthony, and we've got Nonto. So Nonto's injured at the moment, but I'd imagine he'll probably be fit by the next league game. I would hope so anyway. So at least we have some cover in Dan's position. But if Archie was to miss some games, then we would struggle to replace him. I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, agree with Martin. I'm kind of worried about both positions. I mean, I guess Byron play, plays right back, doesn't he, at the moment? As long as Furpo stays fit, um, so it's, that's perhaps not as bad a, a, a drop off. But I, I do think there's a bit of a drop off from Dan James in the current system and the current setup um, to whoever's playing right wing. I think. I think we've not seen Nonto necessarily be as effective on the right. Um, and Anthony came on yesterday, played on the right, and was a hit and miss wasn't he really so yeah I think there's a bit of a drop off from Dan James to, to the to the rest of the squad in terms of that particular role not necessarily a need level of player I would say so yeah slight worry yeah and I want to do just say quickly that our thoughts really do well to Jane Anthony what he's going through at the moment pretty True. pretty horrible for a guy of his age he's younger than me and you know I couldn't imagine losing my mum at that age so that's that's pretty horrendous um Hosty uh just wanted to quickly ask you as well um are you, are you particularly worried about Archie Gray or Dan James um if there's one in particular more perhaps um yeah probably like Dan was saying the system at the moment with Dan James kind of staying out wide on, on the wing and we don't really have that sort of right winger at the moment because you're not you're not going to move Somerville. So I do wonder if maybe it's it causes a bit more of a system rotation if both of them are out and we maybe do see that Rotaire on 
the right and we have Perot and Bamford and then, you know, Byram on the right will become your kind of wide player in that way and we see a bit of a change going forward if they're both out. But yeah, I think the big if of uh, Junior Firpo's fitness carries a lot of weight as well regarding how comfortable I am with Gray being injured. Yeah. And to be honest, Sam Byram's fitness as well. Let's not forget that. Although yeah. it's been a lot better this season than probably a lot of us were expecting. It's still had a bit of uh, patchiness to it. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about transfer stuff, but obviously we know the club have been looking at fullbacks in this window and hopefully we sign one or two before the end of the window. We actually have one more podcast between now and then, so we might have more to say uh, during that one, but we'll leave that for now for the news section. And we'll move on straight into, yes, it was... A little bit of time ago now, the Preston game, but we'll talk about that now. Uh, I'll talk about the game summary, um, which is that Leeds started the game with their usual 4-2-3-1 structure, with Preston opting for a 3-5-2 shape. The game got off to a bad start for Leeds, with Preston scoring from a very early set piece, with Liam Miller getting up, Wilk- setting up Will Keane in only the second minute to open the scoring for Preston. However, this scoreline didn't last very long. With Leeds quickly equalising in the sixth minute, with Dan James heading home from a junior Ferber cross. Leeds had the greatest share of possession throughout the rest of the first half. However, Preston did have spells where they possessed the ball too. Leeds also created more chances throughout the half, but neither team were able to go ahead. The second half continued largely the same as the first half had ended, with Leeds having more of the ball and creating a number of scoring chances. With Preston unable to make their possession, they did have payoff, with Preston only having one shot to Leeds having 11 in the end. Just when Leeds fans were expecting the game to end as a draw, a penalty was awarded for a handball in the 94th minute, with Joel Perrault dispatching it and the game ending 2-1 to Leeds. Right, we'll get right on into it then. Um, What was going on in the first half to stop us from getting further ahead? We had most of the ball, but weren't able to create any big chances. I'm going to ask you first, Martin. So yeah, in the first half, Preston were, I think, maybe a bit more aggressive than what we was maybe expecting them to be. I know there was a little bit of a debate in the preview as to how they were going to approach it because they had had some games recently, especially I think it was against Chelsea in the Cup where they were pressing higher. Um, but then, then they also had other games where they were a bit more of a low block. So it was we weren't sure what was going to happen. And I think Preston were quite aggressive in the way they were setting up against us. So I think maybe that caught my surprise a little. So in in the first half we did struggle to make more more of the game than, than what we maybe should have done, and um, because they were coming out quite aggressively and they weren't leaving space behind. But at the same time they were doing a good job at blocking passing angles, um, especially to our midfield players. So the especially Camera was being tightly marked, uh, Ruter was being tightly marked. So it, it did mean that those players in particular who are quite essential to the way we get forward. Um, weren't able to contribute as much as what they would do normally. And when Ed Rutter had, had received the ball, he was very quickly surrounded by two players, which means that a lot of the stuff that he was trying wasn't coming off. And especially in the first half, that really did make us struggle really to get any inroad in, into that their half. Obviously, the game started off pretty hectic with two goals being scored quite quickly. So there wasn't really much um, in way of game state to take into account because of how quickly both the goals were scored. Game state didn't have a chance to really come into it, um, so that's wouldn't be it for me. And yeah, I think that's ma- mainly it for me. I'm not sure if Dan had anything different or he, he spotted anything different to that. Well, I was just thinking back to the game on Boxing Day at their place, and they kind of did a good job, didn't they, of pinning pinning us against the touchline and you know putting all the game in one in one one half of the pitch or the other half. And I think there was a bit of that going on in this game a little bit. So they kind of had a front three, didn't they? But it was quite narrow. So they're almost letting our centre-backs go around the outside of their front three and go down the flanks, and then they just fold over and pin us down. And I think they were just basically saying, well, if we do break them down from there, we're going to be crossing from wide, and they're just 
they're an absolute unit of a team, aren't they? They're massive, you know, great big centre backs, and I think they were just largely confident of defending their box and you know from aerial attacks. Um, I mean, obviously our goal came from from that, but otherwise, I think they they defended anything coming from wide well. So I guess it was just probably just tactics on their part that they like let us go wide and then and then just try to fold over and go you know onto that touchline and be quite aggressive from there. That was kind of how I saw it, really, first half. Did anything change in the second half then for you, Dan, uh, as there were much better chances created in that half? Yeah, in the, in the kind of first half of the second half, um, Leeds had a few chances, didn't we? We came out fairly well, and I just kind of thought we went a bit, we went a bit more direct down the middle a bit quicker. So we played up to Bamford, and then and we were able to get he was able to lay it off, and then there'd be a quick ball through, and James would run onto it or whatever. So it just it just felt like we got got quite direct and and played more central really, and it just they just to struggle to handle that kind of direct pace in behind. Um, so th- that was it, really. I think it was just really, really simple. It's just like we'd play the ball to midfield and ping it quickly forward, and, and it just took them a while to kind of uh, adapt to that. Um, it kind of took their it took their front press out, didn't it, really? And, you know, we were able to just get behind them. Um, I felt that they then adjusted midway through the f- uh, second half and probably dropped off and started playing more of a low block where they'd been aggressive-ish before that, you know, not, not pure low block before that. So I just felt that was it, and then... You know, and the and the game got really stodgy, didn't it? As the, the, the further the game developed, the more the more bad tempered it got, the more fouls they were making, the more the game got broken up and stopped, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was just that you know we we kind of came out well, hurt them a bit, and they adapted and like tried to kill the game, and you know we and that kind of killed how we were kind of uh, hurting them in that first part of the second half. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that felt like the spell of dominance for us to like take advantage, and we we didn't quite manage to do it. We had a couple of pretty good chances, especially that Dan James lob that just went over the bar, for example, and, and then we didn't. And like you say, it really did stodge up again. Is that how you saw it as well, Martin? Yeah, I, I read it pretty much exactly the same way that Dan did, to be honest, for the second half. Uh, they definitely did drop off halfway through that half, which did mean that we were able to pin them in and really get some dominance around their box. And we were able to create some things in in that time. Um, but yeah, it, it was fun. I think we just weren't able to get it done for a long time. And I think we were quite fortunate when the penalty came, to be honest, because I don't think we were going to get that breakthrough otherwise, especially not because it was very late. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, we were quite fortunate in that that the penalty was given, in my opinion. But it's good that we scored it, especially considering we talked about penalties in the previous week. Uh, quite quite a lot Dan got some stats up and whatnot, and now we've scored a penalty the week after so that was quite an amazing little anecdote don't have the stats to hand but Perot's record in the championship in the penalty spot across Swansea and Leeds must be pretty good to be honest he, he seems to be pretty cold in, in those situations I don't even think he hits that as well as maybe he'd like to but it wrong foot's the keeper and it goes in so it doesn't really matter but obviously he doesn't hit it right in the corner um, but yeah um, I think recently and, and this goes for some other games we've had we, we've seen some interesting things that have been happening in our deep build up especially because we've now got Gruev Groif in the team um, and especially with the centre-backs and, and the way Ampadu's been playing could you talk us through those a little bit Martin? Yeah so it's been a lot very interesting the way uh, the build up has been Changing with different players in there. So, I'm pretty at centre back now and grew in midfield. So, there's a bit of a difference to where Grew looks at this midfield role. And he especially drops into the centre of these two centre backs more often than what Ampadu was. And that kind of gives Ampadu more license to carry the ball forward. So, that it, there was less of that being seen. Uh, but I think Ampadu was mainly looking to occupy midfielders for a little bit further forward than what Grew was. And 
Strauch not forward in that way because he was playing other midfielders and Strauch was getting into that space. It's a little bit, a little bit different the way, way it's working in this, but I think it's been probably a little more effective in in certain ways. It's just it's definitely different, and I'm I'm enjoying it, and especially because the way Gru looks to pass the ball around the back, and they really just do well at getting the ball from not not just the left to the right as well. That's something which we've struggled to do at times throughout the season is get the ball up to the right more. And I think he's been better at doing that than what Ampadu was, in my opinion. And I'm not sure what anyone else thinks about that that little bit there. Yeah, I think it's probably because he's, he's well, not the only reason, um, but left-footed, so he's picking the ball up in those central spaces and he's naturally wanting to thing it, play it over to the right, isn't he? So there's just an element of that, I think. But I think just by his very nature, he's more of an expansive passer than Ampadu anyway, irrespective of the left-foot, right-foot thing. So yeah, um, I agree. I'll tell you what's interesting, just a bit of an interesting thought. If Stroik was fit and Grove was playing the six, do we think the same thing would happen? I'm or do literally we think... about to ask that, but you yeah. go for it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, do- I'm doing your job. I, like, I'm not too sure because Ampadu's almost left-back, isn't he? Like an old-fashioned left-back in build-up, you know, not bombing on, but it's kind of really, it's over the towards the touchline. You know, do we see Stroik doing that? That's, that's really interesting. I don't know. I'm just wondering. You know, uh, I think this is an interesting point in general, this part of the team, because um, we've seemed to have a few more options now that we, we've realised that Ampadu can play that centre-back role so well as well. I think there's questions to be asked of whether you could try a, a Gurev and um, Ampadu sort of midfield pivot, and maybe Ampadu's the slightly more advanced player, because I think he's got slightly better press-resistant qualities and, and carrying qualities that I think he could do well there. And, and I don't really want to see Grove come out of the team at the moment. Um, and I do think Kamara's been a bit off the boil, but obviously Strout needs to come back in in some capacity. It just it, it depends on the angles. I think that when having Groove and Strout in the same sort of area of the pitch and both playing um, in a sort of similar way, in, in the way that they can build up the ball um, and they're both left-footed, it, it, it might get all a bit congested perhaps, but... I'm yeah. I'm also curious as as you've just said there. Maybe I'm uh, Strauch to do that role if Groove come out of the team as well. So it, I think Farker's going to be very happy that he's got options here, especially with the the situation regarding Charlie Cresswell at the moment. Hostia, I'll put this one to you. Do you want to answer Dan's question if you can remember what it was? Yeah, I think sort of like Ampadu can probably do the eight sort of role a little bit. As you said, Kamara's there's a question that's going to be a little bit similar in the Norwich bit, which um, I want to talk about regarding uh, our build up in deep with. Groif and um and Ampadu at centre back. But yeah, I think it'd be it obviously calls for different dynamics and if we kind of played the same way that we are now, there's issues with it which are away from the centre backs, I think, in the deep build up. Um which I'll obviously get onto. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know exactly how it does work, but yeah, I don't think you can drop Groif, but at the same time Strauk was like obviously best centre back probably in the squad at the time. Um with regards to his on-ball and his progression from that position and area. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Do we have a game coming up when Strout comes back that we can maybe test this sort of theory? Do we have Do we have the leeway to test? I don't know. Do we just stick to what we know? Does it just mean that we can actually rest Ampadu going forward um, and actually give, give him 30 minutes, give growth 30 minutes instead of five now that we know that he can sustain it in the, prem- in, in the Premier League, in the Championship? I have something on this as well that this possibility, um, that the fact that Strauch actually has, um, has played at left back this year. You know, it's not something which maybe we'd want to see, but considering we're quite low on fullbacks and Strauch does have experience playing in the Premier League, left back even, would that be something that 
maybe to look at. I don't think it would be, but it is a potential thing which I think has to be taken into account because he has played there for a significant time and that was probably his best time of the season um, last year was when Strout was playing at left back before the World Cup. Um, he was probably one of our only players who came out with any kind of credit in that first part of the season playing at left back. And obviously, it may be a, bit, a little bit different to what you'd want in this side from, from left back because at the moment, the left back is the high and wide one. You could you could solve that by having the left back reverting back to the way it was at the start of the season and being the deeper third centre back kind of, and then on the right you could have say say Byram being the high and wide right back, and that's obviously something we know that he can do well, and he's done pretty well being the high and wide left back, but being the high and wide right back will be even better for him because he's right footed of course, so it would give us extra angles across into the box, and he'd probably be more effective being the high and wide right back rather than the high and wide left back. So it's just. Something to think of. I totally agree with all that um, and think that it might happen at some stage. At the same time, I do think Farker absolutely adores Pascal Strauch. I think he loves him. Um, and I think he'll play him at centre-back as much as possible. But if there is any kind of crisis or even if it's just an odd game where we wanted to try something a little bit different, then yeah, I totally agree that that could be something we could see. Um, definitely an interesting one going forward. I think that's an, an area of the pitch that I'm feeling really good about at the moment. So um, but yeah, let's talk about Preston now again in the second half. Uh, they barely created anything. Was this down to us out of possession or was it down to Preston making more of what they had? Dan, I'll start with you. Um, I just don't think Preston carry any threat if you kill Miller, which is what the, our guest said the other day. <laughs> kill him, kill him. No, I mean, I think, I think Archie did a way better job, didn't he, than he did at Deepdale on this game. Uh, and I think he got more, way, way more support around him, which I think was a big factor in his, him struggling against Miller at Deepdale. So I just think we were better prepared for their threats. Um, and we like at the moment, it's, we're just like, we're superb at defending our box, aren't we? And keeping teams out of, you know, those zone 14, zone 15, whatever it is. Um, so I think, A, we kept them out of those kind of dangerous areas and the big threat was Miller. So he had obviously he scored the goal early, didn't he? And then he had a decent shot that Melier saved early in the game, if I'm, if I'm remembering rightly. Maybe I'm misremembering. But that was it. Then we shut him down. So I just feel like they don't carry a lot of threat generally, apart from set pieces and, and, and Miller. And I think we handled both. Um, after the goal, we handled both elements pretty well. To be clear, he set up the goal, not scored it. But yeah, you're, you're basically right about everything else. Uh, Martin, anything you want to add? He did, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd agree with what Dan said. Um, Preston don't really offer too much in possession when you were able to cross Muller and stop him from being effective. And I felt uh, Roden especially was giving some really excellent support down that side to Archie. And just and sometimes when Archie was a little bit further forward and then they we, we just turned over the ball, he was trying to get quickly into that area to stop Miller from getting box and giving good support to Archie so that and that also showed out on I think on the heat map which we shared of, of Roden. That was it showed a lot of presence around the right back area. So it was just showed that he was really giving support to Archie, which was good to see. And we just did a good job of handling Miller, which meant that we handled their main threat and they wouldn't weren't really able to do anything in the second half. I mean, the other thing is, if if Groves sitting in there, and it means Rodon's got a bit more scope to get out the right anyway, you know, in, in that respect. So probably just helps with the general shape, doesn't it? Yeah, even yeah. you know, yeah, because of, element as well. Because, that. Yeah. because quite often with with Groves dropping into in between centre backs, that means that both centre backs can be a little bit wider. So that, so it's almost like a, almost like a back three. So it's just, just that little bit more spread out. So when we do turn over the ball, Rodon's better positioned to help in that area. So yeah, I agree with that. 
And to give Preston their credit, because even though they didn't offer that much in possession in the second half, they they did, like we say, make things pretty difficult and stodgy in that last half an hour. And it did look like they were going to hold on for a point um, in the end. But we did have a question about that from one of our patrons, Kieran Healy, who asked, how much did the horrific refereeing performance play into their game plan and overall stodginess of the game? I'll start with you, Martin. You can't really deny it, can you? The the referee didn't have a great game at all. Um, He was calling things when there weren't fouls, he was not calling things which were fouls, and it's generally a game, and Preston had a clear game plan and was to be basic football terrorists. <laughs> you can't, I, can't, I put it that way in Discord, I'm not going to shove it in say differently. repeat your tweet for the audience as well. I can't remember Preston. what I, I can't remember exactly what I said. Uh, the most but, EFL, EFL yeah, that's side. Yeah. Most, the, the EFL-iest side to have ever EFLs. That is that is very true, and I stand by it. Uh, I thought maybe I'd see something different in the rewatch. Sometimes that happens, but no, uh, they no. didn't. They didn't look to play play with the ball, and especially in the second half. In the first half, they were trying it a bit a bit more, and it wasn't quite as terrorist. But in the second half, it, it was full on Sam <laughs> Bin Laden, really. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so I can't really say much more, but I agree with if- what Kieran says. It reminded me a bit of a couple of the Wolves games we had in the Premier League. Um, yes, that's what yes, it reminded yes, me yes. of, and, and the diving and the playing for fouls and, and fouling us constantly. They, I think they had six yellow cards by the end of the game, which kind of told its own story a little bit. Uh, Dan, did you want to add anything on their football terrorism that we watched? Yeah, well, there was definitely a, a, a ramp up of that in the second half because I was at the game and it was really, really grumpy atmosphere and grumpy everything. It was just grumpy, grumpy Ellen Road. And yeah, there were three yellow cards in the first half, but I didn't think the first half was particularly terroristy if that makes sense but second half straight away they had like two fouls i think like within three minutes they fouled you know with quite heavy fouls um so just they kind of they obviously set the store a lot to come out and kick leads another factor i'm not sure how well how much it came across on the telly uh, but, but definitely we felt like a factor at the ground was like the wind it was really really like really windy and it really affected the way the ball was flowing so it's almost like you've got Preston shithousing leads and like the wind shithousing any football as well it's just another factor that stopped any kind of really good flow. The amount of passes that didn't quite didn't quite get to the the, the recipient, or the, they had to hold position to get the ball and then go. So it just nothing flowed quite the same. You know, just those little things like that. I mean, the one where Dan James broke through in the keeper and the keeper handled it outside the area. I mean, that ball should have got to the keeper, and I think the wind held it up. So it kind of worked in our favour, really, in that respect. But just to put it into context, so yeah, I think the wind probably a factor on top of it. On top of Preston being like horrific EFL bastards, <laughs> yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah. And on yeah. how much of like EFL they did, uh, Johnny Cooper did a really good tweet regarding the fact oh, that yeah, great, um, yeah, great stuff. Preston committed forty fouls across the two games at Deepdale and Ellen Road, um, which is the most of any team across both games over the past three years. Um, so it just kind of shows how much they kind of, in both, because they actually committed more fouls at Deepdale than they did at Ellen Road as well. It was 22 to 18. Um, yeah. So it kind of probably shows what Farker was talking about after the game as well, that, you know, Deepdale hurt, and so the players kind of like had a had a bit between the teeth for this game. I just found my note. In the second half, they gave away two fouls within the first 30 seconds of the game. And low, I've got here low gesticulating is my note. So he was like into his players. It happened in front of him and he was straight away into them, you know, like winding them up. So I definitely felt like it's something he'd said to them at half time and to wind them up and get them going. 
I definitely think. Well, yeah, it must be a bit, the start about the two games is, is true, which obviously it will be, which is pretty crazy, um, but also not that surprising. And although I did give credit to Preston a minute ago, uh, yeah, I just got myself a bit wound up listening back to all of this and reminding myself just how many fouls they were putting in on us and, and how, I guess, aggressive they were being on quite a few individuals that we feel like we need to protect. It's okay, Martin, back down. It's over now. <laughs> They're not hurting Georgie anymore. But yeah, um, it was a was a pretty horrible game by the end and I guess we had the last laugh didn't we with the penalty which by the way Ryan Lowe I know you're not listening to this but it was a effing penalty <laughs> and he had a big old moan he's still going on about it today by the way in his press conference today so yeah there you go uh, before we move on to the next bit uh, just want, I just wanted to say that how, how disgusting it was the yellow cards for Georgia for diving there was definite contact in that and I'm still aggrieved by it still aggrieved I agree, um, and a few people in the Discord didn't agree with it, but I think he was probably expecting more contact than came that, that that than what he actually got. But it was still a foul, definitely, even though he didn't get as much as maybe he was expecting. But I, I understand why players go down like that sometimes because they're just expecting to have their legs completely swiped, so they kind of start moving away from that as soon as they can, and that's why it looked like a dive, but it wasn't. Anyway, we are going to move on to the Norwich section now, which might be a little bit longer than the Preston one because it's a bit fresher in the mind. But before we do that, uh, it's time for an ad break. Um, but before that happens, I have to plug the patron. Um, he's not here today, even though just about every podcaster is. Um, but Tom Alderson would kill every single one of us if we didn't do this. So I'm going to do it now. Um, don't worry, patrons. You don't have to listen to this part. Anyway, yes, our patrons get access for as little as one ninety nine per month which gives you ad-free podcasts. And if you want to pay a little more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, analysis articles, other articles that we'll put out, videos and bonus podcasts as well. So if you want to find out more about that, please visit Martin. Patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W Patreon. Yeah, don't go visit Martin. Go visit that website. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Uh, now we'll move on into the Norwich section, which is that Leeds started the game in their usual 4-2-3-1 formation, with Norwich opting for the same shape. Um, Leeds edged the possession battle throughout the first half and took the lead in the 16th minute when Patrick Bamford headed in a beautiful Dan James cross from deep. Norwich had a few spells of possession throughout the first half and created one good chance from Gabriel Sarabat at the end of the half, but weren't able to score from it, and the first half ended 1-0 to Leeds. Norwich then had the majority of possession in the start of the first uh, of the second half, keeping hold of the ball for large periods of the half. However, they weren't able to advance the ball into our box to create any serious 
chances. Leeds looked to hit Norwich in transition and created a number of good opportunities, but weren't able to extend the lead, and the game ended 1-0 to Leeds for our fourth victory of 2024. Now, quickly, just before I dive in, I just want to say, we've just moaned a bit about referees and how awful they are. I cannot believe at 1-0 in the last minute of the game, he's pulled the game back when we could have made it 2-0 because their yes. goalkeeper was up that was yes. uh, that was horrendous but that was egregious well, to- totally egregious yeah because it was Rutter on the ball as well so he probably yeah. would have scored or got an assist there, there, so, was, there was Rutter, Bamford it, it and Somerville weren't they I think yeah, yeah absolutely ridiculous one of the probably one of the worst decisions of the season but it obviously didn't matter because it didn't cost us anything other than a goal but if we now don't go up by one goal well anyway <laughs> <laughs> we had the majority of the possession in that first half as I mentioned however we could just the one big chance. Was this down to Norwich defending well? I'm going to start with you, Hosty. Um, no, I think it was more down to us just not really creating that that final ball, that final chance. Uh, there were a lot, there were quite a few times that we got forward and got the ball across, and there were kind of nothing really happening. Um, but I actually thought that Norwich uh, had a lot more of the ball than I thought they did in the first half. Uh, from kind of like, because I missed the first half originally. So when I rewatched today, I was I was a bit sh- I was kind of like oh they they had probably more of a ball than I anticipated given uh, the kind of reviews that we had but obviously like one of the big one of the chances which isn't which won't go down as a big chance is like the overhead kick from Bamford whereas kind of if he leaves that then you probably got Dan James in a better position to score <laughs> again so those sort of things where we created the chance but it's not a big chance there were quite a few of those moments I felt and yeah so I, I think really it was down to us not not putting the end product on chances in the first half. Martin, I disagree. I, th- I thought Norwich were quite good actually in the first half. I thought they were doing a good job at um, holding, holding their block quite well. Um, so we weren't, we weren't sure how they were going to be approaching this. Um, I won't go into it too much, um, but I just felt that they did a good job in stopping us from creating good chances. Yeah, I think the certain thing that we could do better in the final third. I also think that they did do a good job of making us funnel it over into wide areas, and they were just pretty solid overall in the first half, and made us work to create chances. And we did create one, and we could say two if we if we count the overhead kick. Um, but I think still, my work. Say we had quite a lot of the ball. Norwich had a, had some spells of possession as well, like Hossie mentioned, more than I remembered as well when I rewatched, and. Yeah, I just sort of felt that I needed to give a little, little bit of credit. Maybe not 100% of the credit, but 75%. Just just quickly on that, uh, were you a little surprised by their setup in the end? Because it ended up being a 4-4-2 with Gabriel Sarah actually pressing as one of the two out of possession um, in the attack. And McLean was alongside Nunez, uh, the base, and it was kind of pressed like that. And then, we, like you say, we, funneled, we were funneled into wider areas. Obviously, we scored from that, which was fine, but... That seems to be what it, it was, right? I, I was a bit surprised by that. Were you? Yeah, I was. I, I was expecting them to be a, a lot, lot deeper than, than what, what they were. And especially when we saw the lineup, uh, we, we were all saying, oh, that's definitely a 3 4 3. The dropped bounds to the bench. <laughs> it's definitely a 3 4 3, but no, it wasn't. Uh, so yeah, they had, they had the 4 4 2 out of possession shape and more of a 4 2 3 1 when they had the ball. Um, Sarah would drop deeper when, when they had the ball. Almost became nearly like a four-three-three when they had the ball. Actually, um, so you would have McLean being the deep player dropping in between the centre backs, almost creating a back three at times. There's quite a lot of similarities to the way they uh, look to build up to what we do. In honesty, and it's one thing I've noticed quite often. I wonder if, it, if it's a German thing. Um, who knows? 
um, yeah, they, it did definitely surprise me that they didn't go for the low block three four three and that Smith. Dan, do you have anything to add? I just, I just wonder if they, um, their analysts saw Preston largely do a good job at kind of not completely nullifying leads and kind of had a quite a similar block in terms of the shape. You know, they kind of seeded the the, the wide area, didn't they, to Leeds and let Leeds go round uh, Norwich a bit, but like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly dangerous for them, was it, in that in that first period? So I suspect it's a bit of that. Maybe you know, you've got a quick turnaround from the weekend's game, so they just thought, right, we'll we'll, we'll take a similar approach. That was my thought, really. And Hosty, yeah. Um- I, I very much, fo- I won't lie, lads. I very much focused on us in possession with how how we were setting up, sort of thing in this game. Uh, the running order wasn't quite complete, so I wasn't sure what needs to sort of focus on one thing myself. So the out of possession stuff of Norwich, I didn't really focus on. Um, but yeah, I, I think kind of what they were saying uh, got rings true. It was just I, I felt that we the chances that we kind of nearly made were down were down to us and Norwich just looked solid as like okay I just don't think it was that they defended too well I think we made too many mistakes sometimes yeah fair enough I'll stay with you on the Norwich stuff then um, they also struggled to create anything that meaningful but on that Sarah chance um, that was just before half time that he put wide but how did you feel we did out of possession in the first half in, in sort of defending against that yeah I think in, in both halves we did really well at kind of staying really solid. I think some, I can't remember who, I think it was Dan, you put it in the admin chat today of who had Daniel Farker having a solid defensive structure on the bingo card for the season. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, uh, they tried to move it around us and we, we shuffled across in like a nice 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1 sort of structure. Uh, Kamara and Groove did really well. There was one moment, um, I think it was early in the second half and Somerville had made the break, hadn't quite got back and I noticed like, Royf was kind of screaming. He was having to cover over to the left, and he did that really well. He did it in the first half as well. Um, Gray had got caught out early on, and he came over and, and helped him out there. Uh, and then Gray did a really good job of actually starting to cover on Borja signs as well. Um, yeah, I thought like, our possession, we, we were really good in both halves. Uh, like I said, that, that one which Sarah put wide was a bit like Bamford's against Leicester last season, kind of the exact same position. Um Kind of dropped him and then he just scuffed it. Well, Bamford put it over. He scuffed it wide, didn't he? Um, so yeah, I, I thought I thought we were pretty good. Yeah, and um, obviously now we'll talk about the second half a little bit more. And we had a question from Matthew Noah Smith on Twitter. Um, he said, "Why were Norwich able to hold possession for such a long spell? Was it bad tactics, poor play, or an absence of aggression?" Um, Martin, I'll come to you first in just a second, but have to say that just on what Hossie's been talking about, about our out-possession play and what Dan's said about us in the group chat uh, on the bingo card. It certainly wasn't something I had on. Um, and yeah, we've basically done this quite a lot this season. I've, I've always felt like in terms of our defensive shape and when we have to de- defend deep, we've done really well. We've got quite a few defenders that are very good at box defending. Joe Roden being one, he was pretty outstanding in this game. Um, but in general, we keep the numbers down, don't we? So the XG in the second half was particularly low, wasn't it? I think you might have the numbers to hand. Yeah, so it was 0.03 in the second half and they had one shot. That's it. Um, yeah, so we did a fantastic job. And it's on um, Matthew Noah Smith's question. Uh, I think I actually think it was a concerted effort by us to not be as aggressive. That's that's the way it felt to me because there were times where the, we weren't pressing at all and we sort of checked, we sort of dropped camera deeper in, into the, the, the block rather than having him part of the forward press. So we, would, we were in that half, we... Pretty much just had uh, Bamford's Anthony and 
some of them so it was kind of like a four three three when they had the ball in deeper areas and then as it would further down somerville would drop into the midfield three so it would be more of a four four two Rutter would well maybe in a four four one one um Rutter would just sometimes it'd be in central midfield rather than being in the sort of the attacking midfield pressing spot so i do think it was a conscious effort by us to maybe allow norwich to possess the ball and to try to look them look to hit them in transition but i think maybe we weren't expecting them to maybe keep hold of the ball as well as what they did we did try a few times to get the ball out and to hit them in transition but they got the second ball and swept up and kept hold of it i think it was from the 51st minute through to the 61st so it was a good 10 minute spell where we didn't have any concerted possession of the ball and there were a good long periods where they, they had the ball without us touching it but yeah Ultimately, they didn't do anything with it. Not a single thing. And yeah. people in the group chat were panicking. Even Hobbsy was panicking. And now I was pretty Some of us were calm. It. I was calm. <laughs> I was calm. And there yeah. were some, some people were panicking. And, and I was just like, eh, this is what, that's what I mean about box defending. Yeah. Yeah. We just, just we so easy. Ne- never looked uncomfortable. And yeah. that continues from the first half when Norwich had those spells of possession. They didn't really create anything from them. The one thing that Norwich do threaten me with is transitions. And set pieces. That's where they got both of their goals from in the previous fixture, I believe. Um, the one goal came from the uh, with it Shane Duffy from a header from corner, and then it was Sarah, I, I believe, on in in a transitional attack, maybe. But yeah, so those are the main two things which threaten me with Norwich. But having concerted possession, they don't threaten me as much. Um, I don't I don't think that's the way they're set up to attack, and they were able to create more in the first game because we were looking to press them a lot more aggressively, and failing. This was awful in 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 the in reverse fixture, and in this we made a conscious effort to not press them and hold Shea and be solid and hard to break down, and it absolutely worked. They just could not do anything. <laughs> Dan, do you have something to say? Here? I do think there was a uh, an issue with like our energy. I think obviously some we were looking pretty tired. This this was against apparently in the ground, and I think it was possibly we were kind of dropping off and just saving our energy, and you know, and just sort of shuffling them. You know, happy to just kind of. Kind of show them around really if that makes sense it's probably like a you know a two games a week thing as well um like we don't generally we you know our, our, our more aggressive pressing performances have come when we've had a week i think you know between games um so it's probably an element of that and we were just happy letting them have the ball and play around us and i do think some norwich played some pretty good stuff as well you have to give them credit for playing some nice build-up you know they were rotating the ball really well and dragging our midfield out and then running through the gaps and stuff so Kind of a bit of both, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I think also what what happened was um, every time we kind of put in a clearance, we didn't we didn't really make it go anywhere. So the ball stayed in play, yeah. And we only had like Bamford or Rutter were out, and it kind of went to them, and they they kind of hounded really counter pressed really well when when we cleared that to win the ball back. I think a lot of that possession was much more down to us not being able to make the ball stick due to their counter press, and then they kind of just held it. So we just held our position and just said, okay let's let them have this let's keep doing this until they tire because i think that's basically what happened then after because from 60 minutes on was when we started creating a bit more as well i love when you steal my point i literally was about <laughs> to say that word for word i'm not joking about the counter pressing i thought they were really good at that i think that we had to give them a bit of credit i think that even when we didn't try to just clear the ball out and we actually tried to build it up again they were straight on us in that spell and it made it really difficult and even some of our better ball players were struggling to get the ball out and to make it stick like hosty says so I have to give norwich a bit of credit there and i think that that really worked well for them apart from the fact that like martin's mentioned they didn't do anything and then at that point i think maybe some of our players kind of realized a little bit like yeah no you can have the ball you're not getting past us and 
I loved that. I, I think that that part of our team, that that aspect of being so solid, is probably the most underappreciated thing. Um, and that's why I wasn't worried when we were pinned a little bit. I think if you if you pinned for ten minutes, it can look a little bit concerning. And if they carried on doing that for the rest of the game, yeah, we probably would have eventually conceded a chance or two, and they might have taken one. But defending like that for a little bit. And just keeping ourselves compact and then eventually we ride out that storm and, and can get out of it, you know, on the other side of it. And then we actually made some chances of our own. It was absolutely perfect. But yeah, the, the only thing I wanted to say is that during that 10 minute spell, we created the two best chances. And that's the funniest part for me. Um, cause even though we didn't get out that often, the couple of times that we did, that we had a couple of a, a decent shots and uh, they basically did nothing. Like Martin said, the XG for them was absolutely abysmal in that second half. And, and yeah, I do find that quite funny that, you know, we let them come on to us probably partly because we thought we can transition here ourselves and we did, and we did that well. Um, so that was that was really pleasing for me, um, even though Norwich did a good job of pinning us for a little bit. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Patrick Bamford because we've now seen him for five games in a row, which I don't think many of us were probably expecting. Maybe uh, at some point we were maybe expecting Farker to actually go and drop him for at least a game. Um, and maybe we will see that this weekend in the FA Cup. Um, I think all of us are hoping probably for that. He's become crucial to us in and out of position, I would say, as the sort of line leading focal point, even though I think a few people have picked up on this and I, I think I do agree. He did look a little bit like he was a bit leggy towards the end. Maybe his body is not quite what it used to be, so he's not going for those lung-busting sort of runs of pressing as much as he used to in the Bielsa days, but he still is so crucial, isn't he, Dan? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean... I don't necessarily think he's a player he was, but yeah, it's just just that 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 profile makes like a world of difference to this team, doesn't it? Like occupying centre backs, sort of. I keep making the point about giving those depth to our attack. He's you know he's looking to run in behind, and 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 that makes space for our creative players to to operate in sort of between the lines and stuff. So yeah, and I just think having Dan James and him giving us that kind of outlet or focal point, whatever you want, to, you know, is 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 really handy for Rutter and, and Somerville. So yeah, it's just super important systematically and like. I think we need to think really, really hard about that in the summer, no matter what what league we're in. But that's that's another that's another podcast. But yeah, you would drop him, wouldn't you, for Plymouth? I would totally drop him for Plymouth. Yeah, I would probably give Joseph a run actually. Um, so I think I. he has some of those profile. You know, I think he probably will finish up like that kind of nine. Um, so I'd, I'd give him a run and see how we see how he goes. Yeah, I just wanted to ask this question, Hosty, because I've got a bit more of a sample size for it now. I wonder what your take is on Pat Bamford. Yeah, obviously, um, I think he's made a massive difference to the way we played. I don't think that's clearly come across in our results, you know, unbeaten this this year so far. Um, 100% win rate as well. And yeah, I obviously shared a graphic showing the difference of when Rutter played, Rutter played nine between uh, game week two and game week 25, just about 24, uh, or match 24, should I say. Um, and then the five games, the four games that Bamford's had, and there's a clear difference in central penalty area um actions and touches so heat maps are based off uh the touches and actions because we don't have gps data sort of thing so you have to kind of go off where footballing actions are occurred um and there's a clear difference of that Rutter's kind of drifts out to the left a little when he was playing nine probably he did that so that perot could drop in and have that space a bit more um but obviously bamford really tries to push that a little bit more and um i think we shared off the all stats and we account as well his uh his shot maps since coming in and all three of his goals are basically from the exact same area, which is inside the six yard box, which is a massive difference and something which we haven't had all season. Um, yeah. And I think he, like Dan said, he gives us that different profile that we've missed. Um, yeah. I'd like to 
I'd like to drop him or rest him. Let's let's say rest. Dropping sounds like <laughs> dro- dropping him. I'm not wanting to knock him out, and I'm not wanting to lose his place due to bad form. Um, yeah, no, I'd give him a rest because obviously he scored that goal against Peterborough, and the first thing he said on his own podcast was, "Yeah, my dad texted me asking me how my hips were." So, like, you know, <laughs> how how are they now? Sort of thing. Yeah, Martin. After everything, Hossie's just said we should play Perot as number nine, shouldn't we? Um, as soon as the league game start up again right yeah absolutely yeah exactly he, he, know, he knows how to score goals that's the only important thing for elite, for being a, a number nine right that's that's all that matters is scoring goals yeah but no uh, Bamford is he's back baby he's back he's back oh I'm so happy about this honestly there's all of us in it in all starts that we obviously are big Bamford lovers but a few a few had started to lose faith that he would ever and I admit I was pretty much there as well and he's just, he's seemed like he's back. He's, I don't want to jinx it too much because it could happen that he gets injured again. But yeah, he's just shown such good form. And he was definitely tired in this game against Norwich, especially in the second half, and which is understandable. He's just not used to playing multiple games a week. And this was the first time that he's done, really tried to do that since he's come back into the team. So yeah, just give him a rest versus Plymouth, please. Daniel, don't don't play him in that at all. Don't even put him on the bench. Just don't bring him at all. Just let him stay at home. Just let him chill. Let him let him record a podcast. That's that's, that's all. That's all he needs to do on on that day. He doesn't need to get do him on anything comms. Else. Get him on comms. Yeah, that'd be that'd be beautiful. Yeah, that'd be, be a throwback. Which, along, which game was it that he did that he did on comms? He did a game a couple of years ago, didn't he? Or like Forest or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was, but that was fun. I enjoyed Pat and Poms. He's he's got he's he's great on the on the on the. Right. Yeah, I have to say, I I thought he might be, thought it might be broken, but it turns out he's only slightly broken, and we can still play him. But yeah, we do need to rest him. We need to be very very careful. Patch him up, and like you say, wrap him in cotton wool and record a podcast or something like that. Just just something else. Just don't don't be there. I don't mind. Oh, sorry, Dan might not like this. But I might. I don't mind if we lose to Plymouth. I really don't. I think the league games matter much more. Um, the worst case scenario is probably going to be that we uh, we draw with Plymouth. We play a weakened team, we draw, and then Daniel Farker probably takes it more seriously in the second leg and plays a, a pretty strong team. And that that just would not be very good. I don't really want to have to go on another trip in February to Plymouth when we've already got one, so I don't want to do another one. Um, and it'll probably be a, a midweek game as well, so it'll be a late, late game. Um, anyway, um, we'll end on something we've kind of touched on a little bit, but um, we should talk a little bit more about um, this is now the third game in a row in which Ilya Gruev. I'm going to go with Gruev. I don't care. I'm going to stick with it because I've heard three different pronunciations and I don't care anymore. Um, Bryn Law he started... said three different pronunciations on exactly. the TV commentary in the last game. So in Norwich, I'm game. sick of it. Gruev, fine. <laughs> has... I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed with the Legion United podcast. They had, they had him on and didn't ask him. Like, what were they playing at? Uh, they did for Perot, and then I'm still saying yeah. it wrong. It was Peru. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, it's the third game in a row in which he's started in midfield with Ampadu at centre back. How has our build-up looked recently? How has it affected us um, having our best centre-back, in possession at least, out? Hosty, I'll start with you. Yeah, so uh, one thing that I noticed from this game was uh, the position of Archie Gray. So kind of like we've obviously touched on Strauch and uh, where we think he might be able to come back in uh, already with with the Preston uh, review. But Archie Gray took up a really interesting position for me. Kind of like he was ahead of Kamara and... I felt like he wanted to be ahead of that midfield line and in between the midfield and defensive line. Um, but that meant that in our build-up, we were just having Gruev, Ampadu and Rodon and then Kamara. And it just felt we were missing one player to help 
actually pull Norwich around in that area. And I think that's kind of where we where we had some problems. So I think against Preston, like Gray played quite wide, and then this time he was asked to play narrow, narrower. Um, but he, I felt like he needed to be a little bit deeper as well. Um, and I think that that would help us in build up. I think we've kind of because what we've been trying to do with this change is have Ampadu and Rodon create the space, pull pull the press around and then have Rodon or Ampadu kind of drive into the space that we've created is what we've kind of tried to do. And yeah, I just felt that in this game where, as we said, Norwich did quite well with that front side, with that front line press, um, we probably needed an extra body in there to kind of help us do that. That that was my take on this. And I just think it can be improved a little. Dan? Yeah, I thought. But if you go back to the the Cardiff game, one one thing I thought they did really well was was like Groove and Kamara sort of moved Cardiff around, and our build up was really really nice. And like like this week against Norwich, we didn't see that. It was kind of all very static again. So we'd have Groove dropping in and Kamara pulling out to one side, and then like you say, the, the other centre back would, would would launch into the gap and it would open up. I don't really think we saw that against either Preston or Norwich. So I'm not sure if that's the opposition not taking that bait. Or it's something we weren't doing. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, so I think that that's where kind of because we've only got one player there, it, it, and we've seen they've seen it once. They kind of knew to just as long as they stayed mm. a bit more disciplined, it, it was a bit fine. And that's where I think Gray probably because he's that nearest player within the position, um, mm. he should come in. Because at one point, I remember Gray kind of stayed where he was, and Bamford dropped into the centre circle to try and add that extra body. Um, yeah, and that that was early on in the game. I think that was just before the goal. Um, and that then we were able to progress the ball as soon as Bamford did that. So I just think that having that extra body and movement, maybe it's that we we try and maybe rotate Kamara and Gray from doing that role. Um, and that gives because Gray is obviously comfortable in that position. Is that's why he's doing that role of playing further inside and a bit further forward because he's got that mid. But you look at that first fifteen minutes and. It's. I think it's like the third or fourth time that he's around the D area, and that's when we score because he goes down injured around there, doesn't he? For when we score, and like that's like the fourth instant, like fourth moment within that first fifteen minutes that he's found himself in that position with our build up. I just think it's a bit too far forward for deep build up because he's basically there from the get go. Martin, do you have any thoughts? No, nothing really. I think um, Hofty and Stan have covered it quite well there. Uh, I do. I've I've really enjoyed my performance of our build up with Groove in there, and just to touch on the that's what we've missed with Strauk not being in inside. I don't think we've missed a massive amount. In honesty, I think Ampadu has good, done a good job um, in that position and to do the sort of thing which Strauk was doing as well. And I'm fine with whichever one of them is in that position. Obviously, but with Strauk, we have different angles to to progress the ball. And that's the main thing that we'll be missing. It'll be a little bit harder, but I don't think Ampadu is too bad on his weak foot. I think he is able to play on on his weak foot, so it's not really half much of an issue. I won't say he's both footed, but I also wouldn't say his left foot is weak. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I agree. Can I just make one point? I mean, on strike, one thing we do miss is, I mean, he's got five goals this season in 25 games. So that's... Um, and I think it was, I can't remember who it was online, just said he's an absolute magnet for the ball in the box. And he kind of is, isn't he? He's like, his, his anticipation and like the way he arrives on the ball in both boxes is really good. It's, you know, he's, he's probably the best at the club at that. So I think we kind of missed that. And I do wonder if, you know, at some point we might 
we might struggle again, you know, defending set pieces. And, you know, I think we'd benefit from having those goals um, from Strauch. And just going back to the Grove point about Grove dropping into the defence and sort of emptying the midfield sometimes, I, f- I feel like it's had it's been drawing Somerville into the midfield a bit and Somerville's been making up the midfield free, hasn't it, at times? Which is fine, it's working okay, but I prefer Somerville receiving the ball higher up and, you know, and that kind of moving from second phase to third phase rather than being this, like a second phase guy, you know, a midfield guy, basically. So, you know, there are there are consequences to this. to this, um, And I wonder if... I mean, Somerville's still playing well, but we've not seen any production from him, are we? Oh, maybe I'm talking rubbish. <laughs> like, he doesn't score a goal, and I'm like, where's Somerville? Um, <laughs> for one game. But I kind of feel like we're drawing him out from where he's really dangerous at the moment. And obviously, obviously we've got Furpo getting high and wide as well, so there's no need for Somerville to hold the width as much on the left. So, yeah, there's always a consequence, isn't there, of a, this kind of change. I actually totally agree with that about Somerville. I think sometimes he's dropping maybe deeper than we'd like, but it, I mean, it doesn't really matter. He still impacts games really well. And he still, for me, he comes up with a few moments every game now where I'm a bit wowed, even if it's just a drop of the shoulder. He manages to wriggle out of something and, and play a nice pass. So really impressed with him. Just two really quick last points from me because there's just some stuff that we missed off the running order that's just come to me. Um, one of them actually you, you mentioned there, Dan, about um, our aerial sort of threat. Um, I think Roden is someone who should get more goals than he does uh, in his career. I think he's only got one or two. And the reason for that is because I think he attacks the ball so well in our box. I think he should be doing better in the opposition box. Um, I know there are different types of headers and (laughs) when you're attacking the ball to sort of get rid of it, it's very different when you're attacking the ball to try and score. But still, I think he should do better and he's obviously really tall. So I would like to see him add some more goals to his game in terms of what you were talking about with Strauch. And then the other thing, just for all three of you, no one has mentioned that wonderful Archie Gray recovery, which is probably Norwich's most threatening moment in the second half. I was going to say before we go, can we mention this? So you, yeah, you, I, I've done it to you earlier on. Yeah, there you go. Point, you've taken mine. <laughs> well, it was wonderful, wasn't it? It was brilliant. It such composure to even dribble out of it as well, let alone read the sort of tackle and, and the play and, and make it. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, he does. He does really well when he gets into the box, and you just see him um, slow up to basically stop. He, he reads the fact that um, I can't remember which player it was that made the break. And, and, yeah. yeah, it was John Rowe, yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he just kind of is aware that he's going to try and cut inside and he, he just handles that really well. Um, the bit which the only blemish on the guy's game that happened in that moment was Joe Roden. Um, he tracked back with Adam Ida and then kind of mistimed. He, he kind of like didn't really go in properly and he mistimed trying to mus- out-muscle him off the ball and he just fell on the floor. Uh, during it and that's when Ida then played it out wide to Rowe and Gray kind of obviously got there um, yeah that was the only thing that Rodon did wrong um, for me during the game and it was just something that I noticed at literally the last re- last rewatch obviously uh, I just saw it last second I was like who was that who's just kind of gone in and not not done any made no difference to it not tried to hold up his run not tried to do anything just kind of ran at him and then fallen over themselves and I noticed it was Roden so yeah none of that negativity please Martin just quickly what can you recreate the audible noise you made when Gray made that tackle and dribbled out I don't think I could it would must will have been just uh, <laughs> it was just, oh, thank God <laughs> something like that <laughs> so yeah that was the biggest moment where we could definitely have scored in that moment and he did fantastic just just the composure of someone his age just not diving in in that moment because i think if he would have dived in he either would have side sidestepped him and would have either scored or set someone else up to score but he just held his ground 
just didn't go to the ground properly, just well, safely. And it's, yeah, it was fantastic. And so I just really enjoyed him. He's just growing, growing all the time, and his defensive position is getting better. There's a couple of moments where he was a little bit out of position in the first half, but he soon corrects those. That's what I love about him most. When he makes a mistake, he just makes it straight away, and it's fantastic to see. Um, and just before we do move on, I just wanted to give a little shout out to Samara. I thought he was fantastic in this game, and I thought he was really essential to everything we did. I mean, he had the highest accuracy inside. He completed 57 of 59 passes, and he also had the second most progressive passes. So he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing it safe. He was getting the ball forward. And he was also progressing it and not losing the ball. So I just felt like he was just really good in this game. To his best. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, do, yeah, exactly. Anyone else got any last minute thoughts? It's just it's back on Kamara, actually. We kind of we didn't discuss Kamara from the Preston game, but like the, there was a lot of grumbling, wasn't it? They had a bad game against Preston. I just want to make the point, watching it back, he definitely got dispossessed three times during the game, but otherwise he was tip top. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. People remember those, those either very big or positive or very big negative moments and those actions yeah, yeah. are the ones that get sort of remembered yeah. the most and I think a lot of people are hyperfixate and then they can you know actually extrapolate that to a whole game of performance when that isn't always the case but anyway yep I think that's everything um, I think I have to say just quickly 2024 has been a great fun footballing year so far that's five games in a row now uh, that we've won four in the league and we have four winnable games coming up before that Leicester game um, so we're all feeling good right Yes, absolutely. Si, si, senor. Yep, I think the only negative to come out of these two games is the potential injuries, but we don't know anything about that yet, so we won't discuss that too much. But yeah, just a quick reminder, the website for your Patreon is Dan. It is patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Wonderful, but now that is everything for tonight. Uh, we won't be previewing or reviewing the FA Cup game because, Hosty? Uh, cup football isn't real football. Uh, it's a Darren, Darren Driver <laughs> quote, uh, but jokes aside, uh, we might you know, start doing that stuff if we go a bit deeper into the competition, but not right now. Um, otherwise, we will be back next week where we'll be doing a bonus pod for all our lucky patrons. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, please do sign up. Um, that'll be four of us on that one. So it should be quite a big one again. Um, and we'll be back to preview Bristol City before Friday's league game at Ashton Gate as well. Uh, but for now, all that's left for me to say is to say thank you to Martin. Thank you as well, Adam. Thank you to Dan. Thank you, Adam. And thank you to Sexy. Um, I mean, uh, Hosty. Oh, merci. <laughs> and to you, our dear listeners, thank you very much. Have a great weekend and a week and enjoy the Plymouth game as well. Goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.